Here's what's ahead of us today on Abounding Grace. We don't need a reformation in our lives. We need a transformation. We can't just settle for outward change and lip service. We need to yield to an inward work of the Holy Spirit in our lives and draw all of our strength and our resources from Him. And it's true, as we're studying the Old Testament, we're learning the believer's life under the Old Covenant. And yet, even in the Old Covenant, God provided the strength and the ability to obey Him. This is amazing grace. Maybe you've noticed as you've watched TV or even many movies how sinful actions are often applauded and glamorized. But what's not often shown are the consequences of walking in sin. Today on Abounding Grace, we bring that to light through a study in 2 Kings 13. Here's Pastor Ed Taylor. Take your Bibles and open them to 2 Kings chapter 13. In the Bible study that I've entitled, The Consequences of Walking in Sinful Ways. Because there are always consequences for walking in sinful ways. We're at a place where we're reminded of King Joash that he took the throne at the age of seven. You heard that right, seven. Very young. And as long as Jehoiada was with him, leading him, training him, helping him, he did well. But after his death, Joash's true colors come out and the weaknesses of his, of his leadership. He was easily influenced, and Joash chose to return to idolatry. And he goes down as a disobedient compromiser. He started well, but ended poorly. And it reminds me of the words that Paul the Apostle wrote in 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 6. Let me just read them to you. It says, For I'm already being poured out as a drink offering, and the time of my departure is at hand. I have fought the good fight, I have finished the race, I have kept the faith. Finally, there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give to me on that day, and not to me only, but also to all those who have loved his appearing. As Paul the apostle got closer and closer to death, the time of his, he calls it the time of his departure, He was able to look back on his life and say, you know what, I fought the good fight. I have finished the race. And that's something that I want in my life. Is this something you want in your life? I want to finish well. I can look back and see a good start. And I can see over the years I've stumbled here and I've tripped up over there. And certainly my flesh has gotten the best of me many times. But I'm still running. And I'm still making it. And I'm looking for the finish line. And when the Lord reveals to me the finish line, I want to finish well. And I want to be surrounded with men and women. I want to have the ability to influence men and women to finish well. To to do in the power of the Holy Spirit what is necessary to finish well. And so here's a few things to consider before we jump into the text. Just some thoughts on this topic. Number one, with the right influences, 
we'll make the right choices. With the right influences, we'll make good choices. Isn't it true? Who you hang out with is who you become. Now, of course, the Bible says it this way. Don't be deceived. Evil company corrupts good habits. But see, we have this perspective that we have enough good habits that will influence evil company. But the Bible says, no, it doesn't work that way. That we literally become like the people that we hang out with. We literally become like the people that we spend time with and we invest life in and we share life with. And so if we choose to have the right people around us, or even more so now, the right influences. Of course, in the day, way back in the day, if we were teaching the Bible in the 50s, we'd have to say something like, be careful to what radio broadcast you listen to. And then they invented the black and white TV. And be careful what three channels you watch on your black and white TV. And then it was color TV. Then it was cable TV. And now I don't know what the number is, how many hundreds of channels that we can get over uh, satellite or cable TV. But then they invented something that's known as the internet. And the internet now has all sorts of influences that we now invite into our lives. It doesn't just pop into your life. Your computer doesn't just turn on automatically. The YouTube channels don't just show up. You look for them. You click through them. You listen. You link to the ones with the algorithms that's created for you to listen to and click. And then you watch this one, so click this one. And before you know it, you're clicking through to a place where we're opening ourselves to all kinds of influences. But if we just base it down to the time that we spend with people, let me say this, and you might want to mark this in your life. Jot it down. You show me your friends, and I'll show you where you're headed. You show me your friends, and I'll tell you exactly where you're headed. We need to be surrounded by good, solid men and women, you younger people, boys and girls, that will speak the truth into our lives and help us stay on track and help us choose the Lord when we're teetering on the edge. In 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 33, it says, Don't be fooled by those who say such things, for bad company corrupts good character. This is from the New Living. Come to your senses and stop sinning, for to your shame I say that some of you don't even know God. Number two, consider this on this topic of finishing well. Number two, great men and women fall away. Great men and women, or who we perceive to be great men and women, fall away. They stumble and they don't get up. Have you ever known someone that you thought was spiritually strong and mature? Have you ever been around someone on the outside, they look like a rock? They gave you counsel on your marriage. They opened the Bible to you. They showed up in a time of crisis. And you say, you know, I think that's a good example to follow. She sure is strong. I really need to spend some time with them, listen to them, follow them. But through the test of time and the test of temptations, they fell hard. And although outwardly they looked strong, inwardly they were weak. And here's the answer and here's the insight. Too many men and women, strong and weak, have fallen by the wayside because they lack a true inward fear of God in their lives. A sense of holiness and righteousness before God. Recognizing that God is God and we are not. not, There's not that healthy awe and respect for God or His Word or His will or His return. 
Instead, there's a wavering fear of man in their lives. And what's the best thing to do to help myself? Attitude. Take my chances with God. Obedience, submission, a change to get in the direction and align our lives with God. It's just tossed to the side. That was Joash, but it wasn't Paul. Paul ran his race with joy and finished well, running all the way through the finish line. Let me give you a third thing when it considers finishing well. We don't need a reformation in our lives. We need a transformation. We can't just settle for outward change and lip service. We need to yield to an inward work of the Holy Spirit in our lives and draw all of our strength and our resources from Him. And it's true, as we're studying the Old Testament, we're learning the believer's life under the Old Covenant. And yet, even in the Old Covenant, God provided the strength and the ability to obey Him, the strength and the ability to walk with Him. And yet today, in the New Covenant, in the new relationship with Jesus Christ, by the finished work of the cross, there is a work of transformation that's taken place. A transformation inwardly that is to lead to a transformation outwardly. That's why when there is something seen that doesn't reflect the life of Jesus Christ in someone, we should have people in our lives that question us on it. Hey, where did that come from? And what are you doing? Why are you hanging out there? Why are you saying that? Why are you acting that way? And even today, I see men and women settling for a works-based relationship with God, applying to God through their performance, thinking as if they would perform well, God loves them. And if you don't perform well, God doesn't love you. The more you do, the more you're closer to God. The less you do, the more guilty and condemned you are. And while King Joash did bring reforms, his reformation was not a total reformation as he still allowed idolatry and false worship and all sorts of compromises. And the tragedy of so many, called, so many so-called reformations is that they usually isn't followed by or isn't following a true transformation. And I have to say, many times we make that mistake. Many times churches make that mistake where they're looking for outward changes in people. Even as parents at times, we go for the outward change and never really shoot for the heart of our kids. And so we accept an outward change, and then kids learn that. They learn that at a young age. If I just do what mom and dad say, they'll, they'll stay off my case. And yet never really have a desire to do what mom and dad says. And never have a really a desire. They're, they're appeasing for the sake of uh, what they, look, they see as a peace. And so we're kind of accepting that as well. You know, as long as we keep the peace in the house, everything's great. But really a parent's job, really a pastor's job, Really, our responsibility in relationships is to go after the heart in a person, to the core issue, even as God wants to bring us to a new life that we might be born again, living not under fear of man, but under a fear, holy reverence of God, that God wants to do a new work in our lives. He put it this way in Luke chapter 5, verse 36. Then Jesus gave him this illustration that no one tears a piece of cloth from a new garment and uses it to patch an old garment. For then the new garment would be torn and the patch wouldn't even match the old garment. And no one puts new wine into old wineskins because the new wine would burst the old wineskins, spilling the wine and ruining the skins. For new wine must be put into new wineskins 
because no one drinks the old wine who seems to want the fresh and the new. The old is better, they say. And what Jesus was introducing here really had nothing to do with wine at all. He was introducing the new covenant, the fresh new work that he came to do in fulfillment of the law. He wants to bring you all the way, not just to some outward change. Like you start coming to church, you start learning the language, you kind of learn the habits, you, you start saying amen, praise the Lord, you're carrying a Bible, and yet your heart isn't changed, it will come out. And these types of things will not allow us, we choose the wrong friends, the wrong influences. If we think we're strong when we're actually weak, if we settle for an outward change instead of trusting on the inward change, it's going to make it very, very difficult to finish your race well. And it eventually comes out in the worst of ways and at the worst of times. So pick up with me as we pick up in a new chapter in verse 1. In the 23rd year of Joash, the son of Ahaziah, the king of Judah, Jehoahaz, the son of Jehu, became king over Israel in Samaria, and he reigned 17 years. And he did evil in the sight of the Lord and followed the sins of Jeroboam, the son of Nabat, who made Israel sin. He did not, did not depart from them. So once again now, we're a focus is back onto the northern kingdom. As we remember, we're studying the divided kingdom once it was solidified under David and under Solomon, but after Solomon's death, it was divided, and we've been studying the divided kingdom, studying the kings of the north up in Israel and the south in Judah. And so now the north has a new evil king by the name of Jehoahaz, and he followed in the sins of Jeroboam, and wickedness begins to reign again. Verse 3. Then the anger of the Lord was aroused against Israel, and he delivered them into the hand of Haziel, king of Syria, and into the hand of Ben-Hadad, the son of Haziel, all their days. So, verse 4, Jehoahaz pleaded with the Lord, and the Lord listened to him. For he saw that the oppression of Israel, because the king of Syria oppressed them. Then the Lord gave Israel a deliverer, so that they escaped from under the hand of the Syrians, and the children of Israel dwelt in their tents as before. Nevertheless, they did not depart from the sins of the house of Jeroboam, who had made Israel sin, but walked in them, and the wooden images also remained in Samaria. For he left, for he left the, of the army of Jehoahaz only 50 horsemen, 10 chariots, 10,000 foot soldiers, for the king of Syria had destroyed them and made them like the dust at threshing. Verse 8. Now the rest of the acts of Jehoahaz, all that he did, and his might, are they not written in the book of the chronicles of the kings of Israel? So Jehoahaz rested with his fathers, and they buried him in Samaria. Then Joash, his son, reigned in his place. Now those of you that are familiar, maybe some of you ladies that did the women's study not too long ago, this sounds like a familiar pattern that we saw the children of Israel follow in the book of Judges where they found themselves in this predictable cycle of sin and crying out to God and then God bringing a deliverer and then silence and then evil again. And that, you see that in just a few verses. That there was wickedness, then God gave them over to their sin, then they're serving sin, then they're crying out, then they're delivered, and then they go right back into it. Bad leadership leads to sin, leads to servitude, leads to a sense of crying out where God delivers and then once again there's silence. 
Here with the leadership of King Jehoahaz, there's oppression. And God, I love this, I have it delivered in our underline in verse 5. The Lord gave Israel a deliverer. Some of you are waiting for God to deliver you. And listen, God will give a deliverer. Not only has God given, will give a deliverer, but he has given a deliverer. Have you met him? His name is Jesus Christ. He came and paid the price for all of your sins. You know what that means, paid the price? Let me put it to you in more biblical terms. That the full wrath of God, the wrath and penalty of your sins and mine, both small and great, all that we deserve was placed upon the innocence of Jesus Christ as he was tortured and brutally murdered on a Roman cross some 2,000 years ago. The perfect for the imperfect. You see, when the Bible speaks of in the Old Testament God raising up a deliverer, those deliverers are always types and pictures of the promised Messiah. That hunger within the children of Israel to be delivered from their present condition is something that's in every human being. Now, it all gets masked and covered and even suppressed in unrighteousness, according to Romans. But there is this emptiness in the heart of every man, every woman, and every child that can only be filled by the finished work of Jesus Christ. And this thing, you know, this issue of bad behavior and, and, and following sin and suffering the consequences isn't just a problem for the time of judges. It's a human problem. It looks like so many lives today. So you're praying for someone that's in this cycle, no doubt, where they have gotten themselves in trouble and they're paying the price for it right now. And you and I were praying for a hastening for them to cry out to be delivered so that God might come and deliver them in his grace and in his mercy. Because he doesn't have to, but because he loves us. And yes, he loves the lost Contrary to the popular teaching of some today that would say that God is angry with the sinner, that's not what Jesus said. Jesus said that God so loved the world, that he loved us in our worst condition, that he loves us in our worst condition. And so God loving those that are wrapped up in sin tonight, wrapped in, up in rebellion, wrapped up in making bad choices and paying the price for it. There is a cycle of a sinful life that so many submit to today. Sometimes you refer to it as a struggle. You know, someone will come up and they'll come up after a service and want some prayer and, and we'll pray with them and we'll pray that Lord will give them strength to overcome. But they'll, some, they'll come up and go, you know, Pastor, I'm just struggling with this. Well, what are you struggling with? Well, I'm struggling with uh, this particular sin. And I'm saying, really? Uh, and I'll feel boldness from the Lord. I might ask them. Uh, it does happen every time, but sometimes I sense this boldness from the Lord. Well, why are you struggling with it? I don't know, Pastor. That's why I'm struggling. I'm just struggling. I'm like, well, you're struggling with it because you want to struggle with it. And then I begin to ask some questions. Do you struggle with the desire to rob a bank? Oh, no, Pastor. Oh, I never want to rob a bank. Well, that's a temptation in sin. Do you struggle to go to Safeway and steal dinner tonight? Oh, no, Pastor. I'll pay for my dinner. But you choose to struggle with this. God's given you power not to want to rob a bank. And he's given you the power not to steal a Snickers bar. Do you not think he hasn't given you the power to live in overcoming power over sin in your life right here in this struggle? Oh, pastor, I'm struggling. I'm just struggling. But God has given us the victory. 
God has given you and me the victory, but what do we choose to do? Listen, there isn't anyone in this room that hasn't described a part of their life as struggling. But we need to understand that we choose to struggle. The power of God is in us. He's ready to deliver us even now to renew our minds and transform our hearts from our present condition. He's ready now to raise up a deliverer in your life and mine to deal with the issues that you're dealing with. God has not only provided you a deliverer, but he sent his only begotten son personally to deliver you by name, to give you a full deliverance. Would you turn over to John chapter 8 so that we might be reminded today of the delivering power of God? Before I'm misunderstood, I recognize the battle and the struggle. I have my own. And so there are on those occasions, though, where a strong word of exhortation is needed to remind us that some of us choose to struggle. Some of us choose to stay in that place. Sometimes we suffer the consequences of our bad decisions. And what happens? We're deceived. Ultimately, we're self-deceived. When Jesus, he speaks to us of this glorious freedom that's ours in Christ. Notice in John chapter 8, pick up in verse 31. Jesus says, Then Jesus said to those Jews who believed him, If you abide in my word, you're my disciples indeed. And you shall know the truth. And notice what the truth will do. The truth will make you, what does your Bible say? Free. Do you have that highlighted yet? Do you have it circled yet? Have you tattooed? If you guys like tattoos, is it tattooed somewhere on your arm? The Lord has made me free. By faith, Jesus Christ has made me free. And they answered him. They resisted it, as many do today. We are Abraham's descendants. We've never been in bondage to anyone. Is that true? Of course that's not true. They're not speaking the truth. The whole history of the children of Israel is one of bondage. I mean, you go back into the very beginning in the garden, in the, in the garden, Adam and Eve chose to be in bondage to the lies of the devil. But then when you think of the nation, the nation was in bondage for years and years and years to Egypt. But in their mind, they were very careful in how they remembered things. We've never been in bondage to anyone. How can you say you'll be made free? And Jesus answered them, most assuredly, I say to you, and here's the struggle. Here's the root of your struggle. You ready? Whoever commits sin is a slave of sin. But a slave does not abide in the house forever, but a son abides forever. Therefore, if the son makes you free, you shall be free indeed. And I know that you're Abraham's descendants, but you seek to kill me because my word has no place in you. The very source of freedom, God, it, Jesus gave them a word of knowledge of what was going on in their heart, a discerning of the spirits. You want to kill me. My word doesn't abide in you. and You don't experience my freedom. A disciple abides in the words of Jesus. 
Well, we've been in 2 Kings today on Abounding Grace. Pastor Ed Taylor is our teacher, and he's the pastor of Calvary Church in Aurora, Colorado. You can hear this message again when you visit us online at AboundingGraceRadio.com or hear Abounding Grace through our app. Search for Ed Taylor in the App Store or Google Play to download that today. I'd like to suggest our resource of the month, a book by Lee Strobel called The Case for Christmas. Taking the approach of a journalist, Lee Strobel searches out the true identity of the child in the manger. He consults experts on the Bible, archaeology, and messianic prophecy. We'll send it your way when you support Abounding Grace with a gift of $25 or more. And you can place a resource request when you call toll-free 877-30-GRACE. That's 877-30-GRACE. You can also order resources like this at calvaryco.store. Calvaryco.store. Please remember this radio ministry is made possible through your generous support. And as the year comes to an end, this would be a wonderful time to hear from you. Help us finish the year strong. To make a donation to the ministry, you can do that online at AboundingGraceRadio.com. And thank you again for helping us reach out through the radio with the gospel and truth of Jesus Christ. We'll get back into Second Kings next time on Abounding Grace with Pastor Ed Taylor. We'll see you then. This is amazing grace. Abounding Grace is brought to you by Calvary Church, Colorado, here in Aurora.